Well, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. I have a random question to ask you guys before I start with the message. What do you think of my pants? <laughs> They're a gift. These are a gift. And so what do you think? And I'm not talking about the style or the color, but what do you think of the length? Like, I'm thinking they're, they're a little bit short, but what do you guys think? I'll tell, tell you why I'm asking. My mother, she lives in Florida, and my mother's never been in this room to see me do a message, but she generally gets around to watching it on the video. And so um, I talked to her a couple of days after the last time I talked, I did the message, and, um, and she says, uh, hey, I watched your sermon today, Dana. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, Ma. What'd you think? And she said, well, I like the shirt you were wearing and that you had it tucked in for a change. But how many times do I have to tell you that your pants are too long? And I said, Ma, what are you talking about? My pants are just fine. And she's like, no, they're not really. And so just a sidebar to the conversation. After we talked, I went to the video. And I watched the video to see if I could see what she saw. And, uh, and I did. And so maybe I'll give her the fact that my pants were a little long last time. But come on, like the how many times do I have to tell you as if it's been this recurring thing? Like someone needs to actually call the fashion police on me? Yeah, okay. So those are the last three times I taught before the last time I taught. And maybe she has a point. Matt Hale, thank you for the picture commentary. I appreciate that. So anyway, so back to the call. So she says, I'm sending you $25. Go buy a pair of pants that are the right length if you're going to stand up in front of people. And I'm like, Ma, you don't need to send me $25. I can buy myself a pair of pants if I need to. And she said, well, you need to, and I'm sending it. I'm like, okay, Ma, whatever. And so sure enough, she sent in the mail, I get 25 bucks. So I could go buy a pair of pants of the proper length. So what do you think? What do you think? Yeah. Am I in trouble, Ma? Thank you. She's here today for the very first time to see me. Thanks. Thanks for the gift. I'm going to get one of these later. Speaking, speaking of gifts, last week we began this uh, four-week series to, to plumb the depths of the greatest and most beautiful gift known to mankind. And that is the gift of grace. And most of you, you've heard grace defined before. The words used may be slightly different, but the essence of what grace is is always the same. Grace is the free and undeserved love of God that's lavished on people. Grace is the free and undeserved love of God that's lavished on people. It's a simple definition, but it's a really complex thing. It's kind of like a, a diamond Grace has many different facets to it. You know, when I look at a diamond, I don't see that many facets except maybe the price tag. But people that have a higher level of understanding of a diamond, and they know what to look for, and so they're drawn into and they appreciate the full depth of the complexity and of the beauty that's inherent in a diamond. And in the same way, the more facets of grace that we can understand... The more that we know what to look for, the more that we'll see, the more that we'll experience the stunning beauty and power and wonder that's inherent in God's grace. 
And so our hope with this series is that we would all come to increasingly understand and therefore increasingly see and experience the fullness and the depth of God's grace. And so I want to start this morning by describing three movements of grace in a person's physical life. And I'm going to use an overly simplified visual to do that. You can see the first movement of grace. It encompasses the season of someone's life from birth or maybe even from conception up to immediately before someone surrenders their life to Jesus. And theologians, they have labeled this movement of God's grace prevenient grace. Now, we don't use, that's a big word, and we don't use that word, but the root of the word means to come before. And so very simply, prevenient grace is the grace that comes before. Comes before what? It comes before uh, somebody making the decision to surrender their life to Jesus. So that's the first movement of God's grace in a person's life. And then this second movement of grace, it's realized in the actual moment that a person surrenders their life to Jesus. And theologians, they've labeled this grace justifying grace. Where a person's relationship is justified or it's made right with God. Adopted is the word that Lee Strobel used last week to describe this movement of grace being adopted into God's family. And then in this overly simplified uh, model, there is this third movement of grace which runs from adoption through our physical death. And theologians have termed this as God extending his sanctifying grace to us. Or in a word that we would generally use, it's God's gracious work in transforming us to be more like Jesus. And then, of course, after physical death, we get this wonderful grace of eternal life. Um, but so, so there's a timeline, a very simple timeline of the movement of God's grace in somebody's physical life. And don't get hung up, and that, that is, timeline is not to scale. So don't get hung up with the scale. Um, when these movements of grace happen in somebody's life, if they happen at all after the first movement, uh, is different for all of us, depending on how and when we respond uh, to God's grace. So don't get hung up on the scale, but understand that buried deep within these movements, there is this hidden treasure that reveals the complexity and the beauty and the wonder of God's grace, if we would look for it. And so this morning, I want to look closely at the first movement of God's grace, specifically of the grace that comes before. And I'm going to use that phrase a lot this morning, the grace that comes before. And when you hear me use that, what I'm saying is the grace that comes before somebody actually surrenders their life to Jesus. That's what I'm referring to. Okay, you got that? Capiche? All right. Now, to the Christ followers in the room, don't check out on me. I realize you're in that third, third movement of grace in your life, but there's fresh application for you this morning. So this first movement of grace, in a nutshell, it's God pursuing us. It's God drawing us to himself. It's God wooing us towards a relationship with him. And when I visualize that, I visualize someone trying to draw me to them or pursue me or woo me towards them, I think about the fact that that someone, they've got to be kind of in my sphere. They've got to be present with me. And so I think it would be logical that God, he would need to be present in our lives in order to offer this grace that comes before. Does that make sense? If he's offering it to us, he would somehow be present in our lives. 
and maybe the most profound passage in Scripture that speaks of God's presence in our lives is found in Psalm 139. And I compiled a number of verses from Psalm 139 from the Message Paraphrase Bible. And so I want to read that to you. Check it out. God, you know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there, then up ahead and you're there too. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on the morning wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. Like an open book, you've watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. In those words, it's no stretch to see that God is present with us, right? In every breath that we have ever taken, there has never been a time where we have been apart from God's presence. Though having said that, so often, maybe even most often, during the entirety of that grace line, we are oblivious to his presence. We're oblivious to it. We seem to live in this state of unawareness as to God's presence in our life. And as you might imagine, that would be especially true in the season of life before we had relationship with Jesus, when we would be even more blind to an understanding of the reality of his presence in our life. But it doesn't mean that he's not there. It's just like oxygen in this room. You may not give oxygen a second thought. You may be totally oblivious to the fact that oxygen is in this room. It doesn't mean that it's not here. And it's true that though we may have been totally unaware of his presence through the timeline of our life, and therefore of this grace that comes before, it's been there the whole time. Because where God is, his grace is. And so if God has always been present, then his grace has always been present. And, through every moment, and so through every moment of our life, we have been the object of his greatest desire and his greatest love, and his greatest pursuit. Which to me is a little mind-boggling, especially if it's true that he's seen everything about my life. And if he knows everything about what I've ever thought, eek, you don't even know everything I've thought, ma. It's inconceivable to me that he would want to continue to pursue me, let alone adopt me into his family. And there's a passage in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah that would seem to bear this out. Isaiah, he was maybe the most religious man of his time. And he finds himself in the very presence of God. And in verse 5, Isaiah declares, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. And I don't know about you, but I know that my level of holiness, of righteousness, wouldn't hold a candle to Isaiah's. I should be doomed too. And frankly, I've earned that. And yet in the stench and in the unappealing state of my sin, when I had nothing to offer God that would make up for or pay the price for that sin, when I could do nothing to take a step towards God, God in this grace that comes before, astoundingly, he makes the first move. He makes the first move. 
For me, the most brilliant facet of God's grace that comes before, in fact, for me, the most brilliant facet of God's grace is that he would offer it to us when we are stuck in or, or were stuck in or maybe are still stuck in the stench of our sin. But the good news is God has made the first move. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. He made the first move. God's love for us has never not been there. And he has never not been about the work of pursuing us and drawing us to to himself, even when we have been stuck in the stench of our sin. It says in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, God says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. It's what that song, Reckless Love, is all about that we just sang. I would encourage you, go Google the lyrics to that song later and look at those lyrics and see God within that freely making the first move. And here's the thing. If we don't respond to that first move, he is not deterred. He makes a second move. And if we don't respond to that, he makes the third move and the hundredth move and the thousandth move and even the 10,000th move in this relentless, reckless pursuit to draw us to him. He just doesn't stop. And that, my friends, is provenient grace. That is the grace that comes before. And most of us, we didn't even know it existed. Or even if we knew it, we just completely forget about it. And we rarely give it any thought. We rarely give it any thought. And so, therefore, we never take the time to go look for it. And so I was 37 years old before I surrendered my life to Jesus. And at one point, late in that process, I was taught about this grace that comes before. And I was encouraged then to look back on my life and look for signs of God's grace uh, during those first 37 years. And so most of the time I do what I'm told. And so I, I did that. I took a shot at that. And now many times over the last 20 years... Friends, I am still finding the hidden treasure of his grace. I go back now and I look at those first 37 years and I say, God, show me where you've been in that. And I find this new treasure of his grace. And I can almost, when I find this new one, I can almost sense God smiling saying, oh, you finally found that one, huh? Man, that one took you a long time. That was a good one, wasn't it? And it just never fails that the discovery of this new treasure of grace or even just the reminder of the grace that I've previously unearthed, it leads me to this fresh level of love and appreciation for God. And I don't know about you guys, but I need that. I need that. We're in a a world that constantly distracts us from God. And so it is good to go back and to look at where God has been in our lives. As I was preparing this message, it encouraged me to go look back again And I want to encourage you guys to consider that you might do the same thing. And I'll I'll say this, it, it takes work. It does take a lot of work. Looking back and searching for God's grace, it's like this, um, it's like playing a divine game of Where's Waldo? Do you guys know Where's Waldo? It's this picture puzzle book um, where you search for this hidden treasure 
which happens to be this little image of Waldo, in this highly cluttered picture. And this morning, I just want to encourage you guys to consider whether you would look back on your life in the, in the grace that came before season of life and search intently and maybe even excitedly for the hidden treasure of God's grace in the highly cluttered picture of your life before Jesus, which surely even some of you in the room are, are still in that. Man, it's like striking gold when that light bulb comes on, and it probably gives God a really good chuckle too. And so if you might be inclined to look in the days to come, and most of you probably won't, but a few of you, I pray, will, then I want to suggest maybe three areas that you might start your search. Because if you look at the cluttered picture and you're like, I have no idea. But I'm going to give you three hints of where you might look for that. And the first is, look deeply within the circumstances of your life. Look deeply within the circumstances of your life. Good, good circumstances and maybe not so good. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So my very first day of college was way back in the fall of 1979. And it came in the midst of a season of life that was really just horrible. About a year before this, I was involved in a motorcycle accident where I was hit head-on by a car. And I flew off the bike, thankfully over the car that hit me and not through it. And I slammed into a parked car and I landed in a heap. And it so happened that when I landed, my, I, was, my, I was conscious, my f- head was facing back towards the motorcycle. And though I was in shock, I vividly remember seeing my father, who was following right behind me in his van, hurdle the bike and come running to me. I vividly remember that. And then I vividly remember as well, I saw him cry that day for the very first time in my life. And a month later, he died of a massive heart attack. And I placed the blame for that death squarely on me and on the trauma that that accident had caused. And then just to kind of pile on, during this time, my grandfather had been battling cancer. And as it was, he was in the final stages of that battle. And and I had started staying at his house to help grandma take care of him. And that was hard. Not, Not just physically, but emotionally, that was so hard to to watch somebody you love just kind of begin to vanish before your eyes. And so in the midst of that, my first day of college arrives, and my very first class is a religion class. And five minutes into the class, the professor, he gives gives us this assignment to write an essay on the spot about what we believe about God. I think, who said college was going to be hard? And I start filling out page after page after page of how, how lousy some of my life circumstances have been. And I get to the logical conclusion, I don't believe there's a God. There's no way there could be a God. And yet, in the moment that I put my pen down, this seemingly random thought enters my mind about how so often in my anger for how life was going, I would look up and shake my fist and hurl profanities up at the sky. And in that moment, I had this realization that I must believe in some higher power. In this brief but intense moment of clarity, it compelled me to pick my pen back up and to reopen the essay book 
and to kind of write out this profound thought that I just had. And I actually revised my conclusion to say, well, just maybe there's a God, though he's not a good one. And sadly, I made no effort to unpack kind of that revelation that I got. But I look back now, and I clearly see that God was trying to draw me to himself in the stench of my many irreverent, irreverent responses to the lousy circumstances in my life, and even in a simple class assignment. And now over the years, I've been able to identify many no-doubter circumstances where God's presence and his grace were clearly in my before-Jesus life that I had never seen before. And when I revisit those now, and when I uncover new ones, my appreciation for, my affection for God, it just soars through those discoveries of grace. And so I want to challenge you guys, especially those that are still in the before-Jesus season, but for all of us, to search deeply into your life circumstances for the hidden treasure of God's grace that is there that you've never even known. And then I want to encourage you to look for grace within your memorable encounters with God's creation. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities— his eternal power and divine nature, and so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Grandpa passed away uh, in that October of the first year of college, and it was just a short time later that late one night I get a phone call from the sister of one of my best friends, Mark. And she said Mark had been in a car accident, and they didn't know much except the general vicinity of where it happened, And so I started calling around to area hospitals, and I found out where Mark was. And so I picked up another friend, and in the middle of the night, we sped to the hospital, which was about an hour away. And we had no idea what to expect. And we couldn't get any information. This was long before cell phones. And when we get to the hospital, we rush into the ER asking about him. But because we weren't family, and because family hadn't gotten there yet, they wouldn't tell us anything except that he was there. And so we're pacing the emergency room for what seemed like forever, and one of the ER nurses saw us, and she slipped over to us, and she simply said, Mark is gone. Mark is gone. And so we spent a few minutes with the family after they arrived, and then we started the drive home. We were driving on this two-lane parkway. It had no street lighting, It's probably 2 a.m. in the morning. And except for my headlights, we were surrounded by darkness. We were surrounded by silence because neither one of us had uttered a word. And then all of a sudden, the blackness was pierced by this flood of light. And my eyes, they were drawn up to the sky. And I saw the clouds start to part and this brilliant shaft of moonlight come pouring through. It was startling. It was startling. But maybe more startling was this weird sensation that I felt in my chest, as if the air was being sucked out of me. And yet in the next breath that I took, I felt like I was being filled with this very unexpected sense of comfort. And I can almost feel that now as I recount it. And frankly, I never gave it a moment's thought that that might have been God. But I look back now, and I clearly see God using his creation to draw me towards his reality. 
And now over these last 20 years, as I have looked, I have found in many encounters that I've had with his creation, the hidden treasure of his grace that comes before, revealed in stunning ways that I never saw before. But now that I know what to look at, I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, there it is. What might be some memorable creation moments for you? Might you be willing to take just a little bit of time to search for that hidden treasure of God's grace drawing you towards him in this creation that he's made? I promise you it's there. I promise you. And it is so cool when you find it. And then finally, I'd suggest you look for grace in the care, sacrifice, and love of people around you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it's written to believers. And it says, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So Mark passed away in early 1980. Fast forward to 1993. I had made the decision to move my family to Texas. It is by far one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. <laughs> I afraid that of this. <laughs> in large measure... What made it so hard was the relationship that I had with my mother and how my decision to move 1,800 miles away was going to impact the way we experienced that relationship. And so she drove my family to the airport that day, and I couldn't even bear to look at her on the drive. As the thought of the impending goodbye, it just played over and over again in my head. And then to pile on, back in 1993, there were no passenger restrictions at the gate. And so she went down with us to the gate to see us off. And, and so she's walking in front of me, hand in hand with my daughter, Diana, who was seven at the time. Do you remember that? And my eyes are glued to her hands. And as I thought about how rare they would get to share that, because I was taking my family away, my spirit was crushed. But I'd made the decision to chase this very promising career move. And so we get on the plane, we move to Texas, and wouldn't you know it, a year into this promising job relocation, the company decides to liquidate the business. And the job that I chased to Texas, which drew, drew me away from, from my, all of my family and, and that, it was gone. And not long after, the first signs of a crumbling marriage began to surface that would eventually lead to divorce. Some of you have heard parts of that story before. And needless to say, life was beyond lousy again. Life was beyond lousy again. And my entire support network, the ones that loved me and supported me through the late 1970s and the early 1980s, they were all 1,800 miles away. And I never felt more alone in my life. But then there comes... Aaron and Hannah Smith. Aaron and Hannah Smith, they were the parents of one of my daughter's best friends, Megan. Megan plays the piano up here sometimes. It's so cool. And Aaron and Hannah, they just waded right into the mess of my life. I mean, they just stepped right into it, and they just start loving the bananas out of me and of my kids. And I look back now, and I see with the greatest of clarity them using this gift of compassion that God had given them to pour his grace out on me. And in fact, through their care and sacrifice and love, and then some others during that season that stepped in, my eyes opened to the possibility 
And then to the reality of God's grace and of his love drawing me to himself. And as I began to look for and then find God's grace scattered through the 37 years of my cluttered life, on a given Friday night, I instantaneously move out of this facet of God's grace uh, that comes before and, and into the facet of God's grace that adopted me into his family when I finally said yes to Jesus. And now whenever I think about Aaron and Hannah Smith and many others during those 37 years, uh, I see God working to reveal himself to me over and over and over again through people. And I get this rush of fondness and thanksgiving, not just for the people, but for just how good God was and that he didn't give up and that he kept putting those people in front of me. It's amazing. Might you take some time to look back and to search for the hidden treasure of God's grace that he's been pouring out on you in an attempt to draw you to himself in that, in that grace that comes before season through the care and the sacrifice and the love of other people. Friends, there is one who is in pursuit of you who is good and is kind and is patient and so full of the compassion and the love that we were made to experience in relationship. And so often the clutter of life, it just renders us unaware of this pursuit. But if we might just pause to look for the pursuer, he is faithful uh, to reveal himself in these hidden treasures of grace that we would find in our circumstances if we would look and that we would find in creation and that we would find in the people that are around us. And that would stir, that would stir your heart's affection for God. It just, it would. Might you prayerfully consider looking for him? Because if you find him, he will then compel you to respond to him. For those of you in the room that are still in this grace that comes before season, he is with you right now. He has been offering you this gift of grace that comes before through your entire life, in your circumstances, and in, in what he's created, and in the people around you. He's been offering this gift of adoption into his family. And he's been offering it, and offering it, and offering it. Do you need to see more before you receive that gift? If you do, would you just go look for the hidden treasure? Like, would you at least just spend some time looking back for the hidden treasure of this grace that comes before? Would you do that? And if you've seen enough, if you've seen enough, why not allow him to adopt you into, into his family? Like right now, why, what else do you have to see? And if you've seen enough, why not allow him to adopt you into his family now? And for the Christ followers in the room, may your appreciation, may your affection for God soar as he reminds you or reveals to you anew the hidden tre treasures of his grace that came before for you. Oh, man, may, may, you, may that allow your affection for him just explode. And may that even catapult you to being the, the Aaron and the Hannah Smith that he has planned for you to be in someone's life. Father in heaven, you are so good and so kind to never give up your pursuit of us. And Father, if we would, would be just take a moment to pause and to look back 
on that season of life before we surrendered our, ourselves to Jesus, or for many in here, that is the season right now, we would find you. We would find you again and again and again. And we would understand how deeply you want to draw us into relationship with you. And I pray, Father, for people in the room that, um, that don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. I pray, Father, that, uh, that they've seen enough, that they would be ready even right now in this moment to recognize the fact that all they need to do is say, oh, I, I see you, God. I see you, Jesus. I know that you died for my sins and that you came to lead my life, and I want that. I want to be adopted into your family. And in that moment, in that moment, they move from that movement of grace that comes before into this movement of grace that is adoption. But I pray, Father, as well for those in the room that are not yet ready, that they would just have the courage and the boldness to look back on their life and to look for you. And as you reveal yourself to them, that they may reach a point where they can make that step. And Father, for the Christ followers in the room, I pray that this would just not be old hat to them and they would just leave here, but rather they would make the effort to look for you in their lives, way back in their lives, where they could find some hidden treasure, where they could enjoy you and appreciate you and grow in their affection for you more because of what they see that maybe they haven't seen before. And may they also, Father, then, because of what they see, be compelled to be those people that would uh, be the conduit of your grace served on others. I pray that all with great hope and great anticipation as we are getting ready to leave this room. In Jesus' name, amen.